whatever leadership means to you, own it. It doesn't have to be that you're at the highest rung of the executive assistant ladder. But to us, for us to be able to be effective, there has to be an essence. There even has to be a bearing and an aura that we project of, I know my stuff. You can sense it. You can smell it on someone when they are fearful of either representing or engaging fully. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. This is Ben Morton, and a very warm welcome to episode 75 of the podcast, which is the penultimate episode of season four. In this episode, I'm delighted that we are joined by Ro Hoffer, who is the executive assistant to Mitchell Baker, who is the chief executive officer at Mozilla. Ro has been in this role for approaching 11 years, which is quite incredible when you consider the average tenure for an exec assistant in Silicon Valley is two to three years, with five years being considered a very long time indeed. As you can imagine, Ro has seen the good, the bad and the ugly in terms of leadership, as well as having a great deal of leadership experience herself through leading other exec assistants and really being a champion for the development of the role. I absolutely loved my conversation with Ro. She shared so many pearls of wisdom around what it means to be a leader and a whole host of top tips on how to really unlock the full potential of the senior exec EA relationship. A quick one before we get into the episode, can I ask you to do me a favour please? Can you take just a few minutes to rate and review the show wherever you listen? If you then send a screenshot of your review to me at chat at ben-morton.com, I'll send you complimentary access to my online weekly planning protocol course. And do also check out my free mini leadership course via the link in the show notes. It's the 10 for 10 leadership course. Let's now get back to this episode though. And without any further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Ro Hoffer. Ro, a very warm welcome to the podcast. I'm really delighted to have you with us and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today because I think it's going to be a very different episode and I think you're going to bring some amazing insights to to the leadership discussion. So welcome. I'm so happy to be here with you, Ben. And I myself am so excited that I get to chat with you and storytell lots. I think you and I love that part about conversations. So please just kick it off and lead me to how we can best use our time together. Amazing. So the very first question that I ask every guest on the show that listeners will be getting familiar with, and I always say this, I think it's an easy question to ask, but perhaps not such an easy question to answer. And that really is, what does leadership mean to you? (laughs) You're absolutely right. It is easy to ask, but it's not always easy on the person you're asking, especially for someone in the profession that I'm in. I am an executive assistant, as you know, and leadership sometimes comes very hard for us to describe because we have to be very aware of not sounding like we are blurring the lines between our profession 
and those that we support. And also, Ben, leadership to me changes. It changes depending on what role you're currently engaged in and who you're engaged with. But if I think about it, I feel like leadership is allyship. Mm. Maybe I have just been so deep into a lot of the work Mozilla does on allyship that this is where my brain and my heart just went to immediately. But I have thought about this so much. Leadership is allyship in its very core because it's not a solo act. You can't be a leader without relying on others. And it's not even the front act. Now you're picking up on my theater background because now <laughs> I'm alluding to things, theater. But a leader to me is definitely someone who has a forefront and center servitude, right? Yeah. If not for being of service to others, what are you trying to lead people to? And it's not about being the loudest voice. In fact, some of the times when I think about leadership, I feel like when I'm being a leader, it's in a very subtle way. And sometimes I can move people without uttering a word. And I'll give you a very good example when I say that without uttering a word. I teach dance fitness. Apart from being an executive assistant and apart from other things, all my, all my passions, I teach dance fitness without verbal cues. It's all about my facial expression. It's all about my hand gestures. And sometimes even just with a lift of an eyebrow. And I can lead a whole room of 70 people to come with me for one hour in whatever it is that I'm doing. So to me, leadership is not actually always having to be on a podium and ordering people or advocating for people. I think it just really varies depending on the role, the goal, and the people you are servicing. So how do you do that? This is going completely off piece, but how do you lead a <laughs> 70 people in an hour-long dance class whilst hardly saying anything at all? How does that work? <laughs> If your wonderful listeners could see me, I would do my gestures, but they can't. <laughs> so here's the thing, because it's all about movement, then my gestures are very, very broad. Arms are out. If I'm directing you to go right, then I am, well, I'm facing you. So I would actually bring my left arm out and I will point down to my feet if I am leading with my left or with my right. And as I said, expressions on my face if you were to look at pictures of myself, still pictures when I'm teaching, you will find the most cartoonish caricatures of expressions because <laughs> all the glamour goes away because my face is contorted into all sorts of different expressions to make people aware I'm going to change my step now. <laughs> Got you. So I'm signaling. I have this signal. It's almost like a car. I'm signaling before I actually make my turn, which makes me think of leadership as well. Good leaders signal well in advance. Yeah, like my mind is just pinging with so many things, things to ask, ask and I'll make sure I, I, I don't lose them. But that piece around signaling, I find really interesting. And I'm constantly struck by just how many parallels there are between leadership and, and parenting right um and my wife and i in terms of parenting our daughter we've always been of the view that 
we've always tried to prepare our daughter for almost what's coming next. Even down on a very basic level, we still do this. She's 10 years old. We'll say things like, okay, Freya, 15 minutes, then we're going up to bed. We're always trying to signal what, what's coming next. But I'd never made that connection between parenting and, and, and leadership. But I think you're probably right. Some of the best leaders are always signaling, preparing, talking about what's next, right? So things aren't so shocking and, and jarring for us. Absolutely, especially in the age of transparency. And leaders are now being exposed to, you know, not the best way to lead is to keep things in a vacuum. And some of the best leaders I have had the privilege of working with, to be secretive is the worst thing that they can do. So not saying that you should blurt out every imaginable information that you have, but at the same time to be purposefully secretive doesn't bode well because as you said, it's jarring. And if you are keeping it to yourself, no one had a chance to prepare, including yourself. As a leader, you rely on so many of your circles that you trust. And by the exchange of thoughts, emotions, information, that's when you come to a, a plan that also more than likely will change as you progress yes. in conversation. So how is it possible that you will not at least give any pre either pre-work or signals or pre-conversations to anything that you want to deliver to anyone or anything. Yeah, it smacks in the face of that phrase we often hear, like not knowledge is power, right? I think knowledge is only power if we give it away and if we share it personally. Sharing. Sharing is caring, Ben. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to make another link as well, um, or explore another link from your how you teach um dance fitness but i think i probably need to ask a sort of prelim question first which is within mozilla i guess a do you consider yourself to be a a leader and within kind of mozilla are you considered one of the leaders within the the business i am maybe not as obvious to many because again there's a stigma to the title executive assistant for so long when you say executive assistant, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, you're the secretary. Yeah. Please don't ever use those words, listeners. <laughs> it's very obsolete. <laughs> so anyway, leaders who are very much exposed, engaged in how a company or a firm or what have you operates is very well aware that an executive assistant in his or her own right, has to have some leadership skills and qualities. Mm. The most talented and the most skillful executive assistants cannot shy away from being a leader. And I always advocate for whatever leadership means to you, own it. It doesn't have to be that you manage a team. It doesn't have to be that you're at the highest rung of the executive assistant ladder. But to us, for us to be able to be effective, there has to be an essence. There even has to be a bearing and an aura that we project of, I know my stuff. I almost said a bad word. I, <laughs> I know my stuff. We can beep it out <laughs> if you do, don't worry. <laughs> and you can sense it. You can smell it on someone when they are fearful 
yeah. of either representing or engaging fully or even sometimes being the voice of reason on behalf of your executive. Yeah, I love that. I, going back to what you said about please never call an executive assistant a, a secretary or even say you're just a secretary. That to me seems like a very quick way to turn someone who could be a very powerful ally into quite a strong enemy who could make your life very difficult if they chose to, I think, right? Yes, and it's... It, it really is not to say that that was not a profession that was not worthy of being valued and recognized, but times changed and the expectations of us have changed. So if you, as an executive, if your expectation of me is far beyond what it used to be in 1964 or 70s even, madmen era, then at least give me the appropriate title. I think if I didn't have Amanda, my amazing exec assistant, me and my business would rapidly grind to a halt. So I, I could not do what I do without her. She's absolutely fantastic. And I'm grateful for her support every single day. So I'm going to throw a question at you. I know that you're the one who's leading this podcast, but because you brought it up, did you always know? Were you always very aware of the value of an executive assistant? Uh, that's a good question. Was I always aware of the value? I'm not sure. Did I all? Was I always very conscious about being um, very respectful and treating them absolutely on a level as anyone else in the organisation? Yes, ab abso absolutely. I think mean, probably like like many people, when I first started working with one one myself, I struggled to probably let go of stuff because, and I know a lot of leaders and managers that I coach have this in terms of delegating generally, because it can be very easy to think, oh, I don't know why it's just quicker and easier if I do it myself for the, for the first time. So we hold on to more and more, more and more stuff. So once you start to get over that and gradually start letting go, you almost start to, I think, get this exponential curve where you let go of a little bit and then you can let go of a bit more and a bit more. And suddenly you're letting go of so much stuff and you, your business becoming more effective. You start enjoying working with your exec assistant even more. Um, so, yeah, I probably wasn't, to answer your question, I probably wasn't aware of the value to, to start with. I think the, yeah, the more you let go of, the more you realize the value and, and unleash the potential, I think, in, in both of you. And I'm sure you're a very competent, engaging assistant also in her own subtle ways made sure that that was the path you were going to. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so back to the um, teaching dance fitness. Um, are there any skills, things you've learned from teaching that and how you can do that almost with no words? that you've been able to transfer into, into your job at Mozilla? First, you have to have that desire to even be in it. Because I had mentioned earlier, anyone can smell the fear in you or the hesitation or the lack of passion. If you hesitate at all because you are not in it to do a good job, it will show through. It is so present when someone's vibe and someone's interest is half-baked. Right. This is not a job that you do because, first off, it will 
make you a millionaire in two years, although I know many who are (laughs) already, but it's a work of art. I see executive assisting as so much like artwork because it doesn't just involve one piece of a project. The amount of push-pull, the broad strokes of what we touch and then having to minimize from a very big picture to something small and look at that and not lose every character of every tiny detail. That to me is artwork. And it's the same as a dance, right? It's just one of those things that have to come over you. If you do not love it, it will show. You can't fake it. This is not one of those fake it till you make it kind of things. (laughs) It's interesting. I often think potentially the three people who really understand any business the most is the chief exec obviously then i think that the cfo because you can understand the business through the numbers and not necessarily in this order by the way and then i think it's the the executive assistants just because they are exposed to so much they hear so many conversations they probably interact with every part of the business so i think if you really want to know something then a good place to go is the the executive assistants i think Would, would you agree I agree, but not all executive assistants are built equally. And this is not to say that anyone who is not digging deep or curious enough is a bad assistant. There are just so many different types of us and in so many different phases and stages of where we are at in this career we've chosen and fallen in love with. I can think back to when I was a very early executive assistant I would never have thought that, well, first off, that I would be here talking to you. And possibly there are very many executives listening to me talk about executive assistants and they're thinking, wow, who is this person? (laughs) But at the same time, I would never have thought that 20 years ago. But now, fast forward, I'm here with you and I'm thinking, I will keep talking about this because. I have decided out of love for my profession and the executives that I've supported and mentored me and invested in me. I owe it. I owe it to my profession. I owe it to the people who helped me. I owe it to those who came before me and to the ones who will come after me. And that brings us quite nicely, I guess, back to how you yourself describe leadership at the, at the start, right? It's that service. It's that kind of servitude. And I very much heard that in your answer just there. You you owe it to the profession, other people, but it's done out of desire and passion as well, not, not just duty. Not just duty. And of course, duty is there. A lot of us are very much embedded in loyalty. We are human givers. That's the DNA that is prevalent in executive assisting, hashtag EADNA. (laughs) But the sense of loyalty to the job, the outcome, to the people we touch, those run deep. And that's, I think, why I keep saying it's an allyship in its very core. Quick one for you folks. If you are someone who struggles to proactively manage your time and find as a consequence your days are largely occupied with firefighting and just dealing with the closest most important deadline then you might want to check out my weekly planning protocol course via the link in the show notes. 
I promise it will help you to feel a lot more in control of your days and weeks. You will likely still have the same number of plates spinning, but just in a much more sustainable and controllable way. You can also take 50% off the investment folks with code LEADON, which is also in the show notes. So do take a look. But now though, let's get back to this episode. So talking of allyship then, Ro, what do you think are some of the, I guess, keys to success when it comes to a great executive assistant, CEO relationship, or, or I guess a great working relationship between executive assistant and whoever it is that they're, they're working with and supporting? What are, the, what are the top tips that people should, should focus on? Gosh, the list is long, but if I were to sort of bucket that up, you have to invest in each other's successes. And I don't mean that just in the business sense of these are the goals to hit, or this is our quarterly business review, KPIs. I feel like you have to invest in each other's success, not just as a business person, but in the person beyond. What better time to think about that than the last two years? We have now been struck by the fact that Behind the work person is the person with a family, the person with friends they care about. And if they are not happy outside, they are not happy work people. We used to be able to filter that and buffer that when we used to all go into offices because there's a leaving behind of a huge part of you as soon as you step into the front doors. Now you're coming to me, Ben, in my very tiny home. And you're seeing me as not just the executive assistant, but in any given time, you might see, I'm not saying my pet, I don't have one, but you might see a child, right? Might see a significant other walk by. And then you realize how close those two worlds are and how interspersed they are. And you can't take one away from the other. And if we are not aware, and if we are not blessing or receiving wholeheartedly that your executive assistant has a life outside of the person you delegate work to, that's a big fail because that means you're only allowing the success of each of you up to a certain degree. And then there is no legacy. Your relationship ends when you part ways as partners in a business. And how sad is that to think about when you leave a job, that there is no takeaway or there's no leave behind. I think as humans, we all want to have a valid look back as to what we did, however small or big, depending on how you see things. And it goes back to what you you and I were saying before, when we think of children as parents, when they go off to university, is that it? (laughs) Absolutely not. So to think about our our co-workers and our executives and our assistants as never-ending people in our circle and in our network, that's a wild thing to think about, but also a very powerful and a very humbling way to think about each person that we come in contact with. Mm. So that's given me 
a whole different perspective that I'd not con considered before. So I've only worked with one executive assistant who who I have now, and we've worked together for five, five or six years. Congratulations. And I hope I never work with another one, actually. I hope, I hope she never leaves me. But partly based on I've only got the, the, the one comparator, I guess. I'd always made this assumption, I think, that because of the very nature of the the role and how a leader and their executive assistant works together, I just assumed it would naturally be this, always be this really close relationship where you do know about each other's kind of home lives and you are both really invested in the relationship. But I'm getting a sense from what you shared that that's not necessarily always the case in every every partnership. Have you had some where it's been much more transactional? Oh, yes. And there is nothing wrong with that either. It has to suit both, both people. And style-wise, I morph into what is necessary for my executive to be the most successful that he and she can be without losing, obviously, my unique individual and my core values. But my bread and butter is to assist. That's why that's my title. So depending on how the comfort level of an executive is, that's where I'll go. And little by little, in my very intentional, respectful, and subtle ways, I may tweak that relationship. But it is not to my preference, it, or I shouldn't say preference, it is not to my, I'm not the one who I am serving in the job. Now, when I step out of the role of being assistant, then that's also a different transaction and also a different dynamic. But there's this design, and I will quote a very wonderful person who you know well, Jane Finette, who taught me, designed alliance, if there is anything about the relationship of executive and executive assistant, this designed alliance, which is not a manual, it is not a standard operating procedure book that you open and flip to page four to see how does my executive like to answer emails? No, this is an ongoing, living, breathing work that you both do together. And then with that, however different your executives are, and there are assistants who support two, three, four, five. That designed alliance with each one of them is your safety. It's your sanity. And it is what makes you effective in the many push and pull types of roles you have to play on any given day. I've said this before, Ben. People like to say, oh, the executive assistant who wears so many hats. I don't stop with a hat. I have a full-on outfit from head to toe. <laughs> and, the, and the change, the costume change can happen in a minute. In one minute, it can be different for, for, from the next. So, yes, so that designed alliance has just always grounded me to not be stuck. When you said, okay, not all executive assistants and executives have this bond immediately? Absolutely not. Most executives don't even know what their assistants should be doing in the first month or the first three. How do you expect a bond to form when you are just beginning to acclimate each other's humanity? Yeah. Well, and that sets up a, a, another question I wanted to ask you, actually. So for someone about to work with an executive assistant for the very first 
first time. So rewind myself six, six years ago. What would you say are maybe three top tips you would share with the executive so that they can really set things off on the on the right foot and make sure it's just going to be this really successful relationship further down the line? First thing, don't call them your secretary. (laughs) (laughs) Also, let go of the obsolete job descriptions that five years ago, your talent acquisition people drew up for you when they were recruiting for an executive assistant five years ago. Think about how much change has happened since we all had to either go remote, engage with each other on Zoom, how many day-to-day in-person exchanges flew out the window. So those things are so obsolete now from how an executive assistant functions. For someone who's never had an executive assistant, prepare, read up on job descriptions of executive assistants that are still executive assistants. Seek out executives you have come in contact with where you connected with their own executive assistants and ask them what makes your relationship work or think, yeah, think back. I'm sure Ben, you have made contact with so many executives through the executive assistant. What stood out for you? Write them all down. What made so-and-so, what made you feel so attended to? and heard and catered to even and think of all that and then just look at it as this person is going to know so much about you if this person is someone who's going to know so much about you even without you telling him or her much about you would you be able to sit down in a room with this person without being uncomfortable i used to have a a cfo who said that when he interviewed me for my very first tech job. He said, the reason why I took you out to lunch is to be able to assess if we could actually have a conversation as humans. Because if we cannot, then it makes it even harder for him to relax. And that's what he needs to be with an executive assistant is relaxed because we are somehow the sounding board or the feeling board We are barometers and thermostats and thermometers. So for us to actually receive someone's vibe and energy, someone has to be comfortable so they can be true and authentic. Yeah, because I'd imagine as a, well, I know this from working with mine as well, kind of your executive assistant hears kind of your concerns worries they share in your victories and your and your losses don't they they often are kind of that that sounding board as well and the the confidant and the 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 mirror for the courageous ones who will kind of give you some feedback that other people might not might not want to or they might say do you know what ben to be fair i don't think you responded as effectively as you could there so it has to be a a close trusting relationship right for it to really be a a really effective one yeah ben and there are times when you probably have not even said a word to your assistant and she has already picked up a vibe just from the mere walking into a meeting i know within the first five minutes i know when we still used to be in the office just the sound of even 
the way the door opened and closed. I can get a good vibe of the state of mind my executive is in. Yeah. And now it's up to me to smoothen out the rough edges, if there are any. So potentially uh, getting towards the, the end of the questions, but there's another question I wanted to ask. I think you've been at Mozilla, is it 11 years? Is that right? 11 years, March 1st. And I know certainly within sort of Silicon Valley, that's a long time. I think you said the average sort of tenure in post for an executive assistant is is two to three. Is that right as well? It's not unusual for two to three. It's also not unusual for maybe five, but 11 is, it, it is pretty long. <laughs> so, you know, the question I'm going to ask. So what's kept you there so long? So, yes, what has kept me in one place? Yeah. Usually that's how it's asked of me. See, I don't feel like it's one place. And if ever you go into my LinkedIn, I wrote Mozilla, a love letter when I turned 10 last year. I saw it. Yeah, it was wonderful. Did you? So Mozilla has never felt like one place, just one place. I feel like there's a rebirth of how I am, depending on project, depending on new executive who comes in that is now part of my CEO circle, a new executive assistant, or even, gosh, in technology, there are so many new things to learn even outside of Mozilla. It would probably feel like a lifetime if I had no curiosity in people and in what limited capacity of my brain can go into product. I'll be the first one to admit I will not understand half the words being said in an engineering meeting. But that doesn't stop me from being engaged and posing questions appropriately. So 11 years to me went by as if it was maybe three or four years. Also, Ben, I've evolved as a human. So even though I am in one place, I've not stood still. The scope of my work has grown. The breadth of how I engage has gotten so much deeper, but that is up to me. That was me saying to myself, it's the year of grow. <laughs> and the power of yes, saying yes. Yes, I will dive into something so unfamiliar and maybe sometimes into places and spaces that most people will see as why is the executive assistant here? And luckily for me, Mozilla has been a place that has so much soul. And we are not perfect. We are so far from that. And we make big faux pas. But no one can take away the part that we care. There's a deep care for what we do. And we care about each other's wellness. So I feel very seen. I feel seen in the job I do as a person and as a fellow caretaker of others. Mm, that's amazing. And also, of course, I'm not going to lie. There is a safety financially as well that I need to be aware of. I am now also learning that it is not a bad word to say money. Yeah, absolutely. And Ro, final question. I know you are a 
massive advocate and champion of the profession and continuing to um, develop it and make sure it is kind of seen as a professional role within within business. I know you're very much a, a leader within the executive assistant world. So I guess this is probably a poorly formed question and maybe it's not even a question, but I just wonder what would you, based on that, what would you like to leave our listeners with bearing in mind the majority of people who listen to this show are either senior leaders or who are aspiring to sort of senior leadership positions in the future so what would you like to say to those first executive assistants who are listening nothing will come to you if you don't ask ben this is to me culturally hard i was born and raised in the philippines where we are supposed to be asked first off female. We're supposed to be quiet. We're supposed to be not so loud and constantly look at me, look at me. But if you don't ask, you don't know what you can possibly get. So executive assistants, do not hand over your career to someone else. Regardless of how beloved you are by your executive, regardless of how supportive your executive is, it is not only up to them to map out your career. You can ask for support. You can ask to be endorsed. You can ask to be given roles that you want to to do, but you need to ask and you you need to present yourself as able, as qualified to accept what you're asking for. I say this a lot. If you want something, make sure you can do it or at least try your hardest to do it. If you're asking for it, don't assume that no one is watching for what outcome will happen. A lot of executive assistants want to be C-level assistants. I want to be this. I want to be that. I want to be taken more seriously. But what have you put in? Yeah, I love that. It's all about taking ownership, right? Ownership. And look for the allies. Look for your allies beyond your fellow executive assistants. Look outbound. Uh, Be a master networker. Not because you're going to always take away from someone. If you're networking, make sure you give back. It gets tiresome for someone to keep asking and doesn't give back. Ro, has been an amazing conversation. I, I know it has because I've hardly glanced at my notes and some of the questions we prepare because it's just flowed so naturally. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you. There's so many insights in there, I think, for leaders for other executive assistants there's some gold dust in there for for me personally so so thank you so much for your time i've really enjoyed it and i think um, listeners are going to get so much value from it so thank you so much indeed thank you ben it was such a privilege to be here with you and with the listeners so i look forward to seeing what other other amazing things you do i'm tuning in amazing thank you very much So there you have it, folks. That was episode 75. I really can't believe we have done 75 episodes of the show already and we are rapidly coming to the end of season four. As always, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and I hope it gives you some 
actionable insights to go away and use in your role as a leader. Whether you are working with an exec assistant right now, thinking about taking one on, or you might possibly be working with one in a few years as you step into a bigger leadership role. If you are getting value from the show, then please, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, do take a few minutes to rate, review and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts from, as it really does enable us to keep bringing you more and more episodes. Without those ratings and reviews, we simply won't be able to keep bringing you the show. That's it for this episode, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Take care and lead on. Mm -hmm.